Kia ora and welcome to my daily podcast. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is The Kaka, a podcast that goes out with an email newsletter to paying subscribers uh, every weekday uh, about the political economy in Aotearoa. I focus on what's happening with housing, climate and poverty. This is really uh, one problem that can be solved by one solution. If you include in that solution reconfiguring our major cities to be focused on medium density, affordable housing that is carbon zero and that works closely with public transport, walking and cycling that is also carbon zero. You might have heard over the weekend that the government has proposed a bunch of cross-harbour tunnels that are for roads and light rail. This, these sets of projects do not include particular timeframes or particular budgets other than to say a dual road tunnel across the harbour would go first. Then there would be dual rail tunnels under the harbour connecting up to light rail uh, around the North Shore and over to Albany. This was announced yesterday at a news conference on the Bayswater Marina by Chris Hipkins and David Parker, surrounded by a few Labour MPs. And this project, according to the small details put out yesterday, could range in cost between $35 billion and $45 billion over a period of decades. Uh, I was there to ask some questions of the uh, ministers, including around the emissions impact, uh, the funding models, and the population growth forecasts implied uh, by these projects. Here's David Parker with some more details on why Labour has chosen the road tunnels first. The road tunnels uh, will be built first. Uh, that would enable a 6.3 kilometre extension to the northern busway. You can't really do that unless you have some alternative way around the Harbour Bridge. So you'd extend the northern busway right into the centre of the city. It would then connect with other uh, public transport, including the city rail link, which of course has been an expensive project that we need to maximise the value out of. And it would connect to the much needed northern, uh, northwestern busway. The logical connection point for all of these services is south of the Harbour Bridge around Victoria Park. State Highways 1 and 16 also park, pass close to this area. In my opinion, and this is something the Prime Minister has already said, and I agree with him, one of the problems in Auckland transport planning has been too much uncertainty. All harbour crossing options land in the same area south of the bridge, near Victoria Park. This is the anchor point for everything. It's clear to me that the critical connections between the new tunnels, State Highways 1 and 16, the Harbour Bridge, the City Rail Link, the Northern Busway and the much needed Northwestern Busway and any future light rail option need to be secured now. Much of the land is already owned by the Crown. Securing the remaining land is important for all future options. The draft government policy statement on transport to be released in the coming weeks will prioritise and fund this work. 
Addressing resilience is also important. Seawater inundation of the approaches to, uh, to the bridge due to storm surges and sea level rises are increasing. Then some questions were asked about how it would be funded because uh, $45 billion is a lot of money. And Chris Hipkins had a few things to say. I then asked some questions. As I've indicated, these, these types of projects get funded over a long period of time. Um, there'll be a mix, of, a mix of options on the table. The next part of the process is to identify, obviously, the you know, preferred route, the actual costs, the design, um, and how that could be paid for. All options are still on the table regarding that, so that does include things such as tolls, for example. We're leaving that on the table. The Auckland Harbour Bridge right behind us, that, of course, was initially a toll road. Um, so there is a history of that here, and, and there are other examples of that in New Zealand's more recent <coughs> history where tolls have been part of the equation. So we're leaving all of those options on the table. Why have you decided to go with the road tunnels first rather than rail? Uh, given your theory, you're supposed to be shifting from road to rail and cycling and walking. Well, if you look at what um, the road tunnels unlock for us, it does actually unlock greater public transport connectivity as well. So in order to improve the bus links, for example, across the harbour, you actually need more capacity to do that. Um, so the road tunnels aren't just about road, you know, cars and trucks. All, it, it does unlock those other options, including active transport options like walking and cycling. So how long before you The Northern Busway, which coincidentally, I was back then Minister of Transport, I was fortunate to be part of the opening. It was another Labour project. The Northern Busway is the most successful public transport project ever in recent decades in New Zealand. The problem is that it can't get over the Harbour Bridge in dedicated lanes and doesn't connect up with the CRL properly and neither does it connect up with the connections that we need out in the northwest. So, you know, the, the, really, for me, the public transport priority immediately is making that work better, get the northwestern busway going properly, uh, and that will uh, get people uh, out of cars, give them more choices. We're not forcing them out of cars, but that will reduce traffic congestion. Uh, in order to do that, you actually need to do the tunnels next to the bridge first. And how are you going to fund uh, um, 30 billion or so um, without uh, using public-private partnerships uh, and without uh, borrowing? As I've indicated, all options for how we fund this are still on the table. That's the next part of the process. Uh, I'd imagine that uh, you know, in the, in the next business case stage, um, that'll include canvassing all of the funding options. Does that include public-private partnerships? Um, like I've said, every option is still on the table at this point for this project. It's going to be a big multi-generational project, and we need to canvass all of the ways we could pay for that. Would that include um, Chinese investment and construction? I'm not proposing to change our existing overseas investment uh, processes um, for this project. So when do you envisage the light rail um, to be built? Well, the next stage will set out more, more detailed timeframes for that. So is it five years, 10 years, 20, 30? Like I said, the next stage will set out some more detailed timeframes for that. What sort of uh, population growth does this cater for over the next 30, 50 years? Uh, the population projections, I, I haven't got them off the top of my head, but uh, they're in the Waka Kotahi study as to where the different population uh, growth is. The Albany region is projected to be one of the, uh, the centres of population growth that grows most strongly. Already these corridors are very choked. Uh, you know, you probably find as you drive away from here this morning, you'll have trouble getting out of Lake Road. Um, if you came, come from the North Shore during uh, peak hours, 
the, the bridge is, is, is getting choked. And the projection from Waka Kotar here, unless we do something different, uh, Brett, how many years is it before the Harbour Bridge chokes up? Uh, oh, look, I think it's in the next 10 to 15 to 20 years. It depends on how much more we can get out of the busway, Minister. So, so what population growth are you forecasting? So, so, 10, so 10 to 15 years' time, unless we do something like this, the, the bridge sort of starts to grind to a halt, which Auckland obviously can't do. Given that it takes 10 to 15 years to build something like this, you've got to start now. So the population's grown 15 to 2% per year uh, across the country for the last 20 years. Do you expect, or do you think it's appropriate that it should grow at the same rate for the next 20, 50 years, which is what this project would cover? Well, uh, I, th I think the transport planners are right to plan based on historical trends. It's a brave person to suggest that uh, the future will be that much different. Would you expect this um, tunnel to be built before the rail tunnels for the rail line to the airport? Well, in, in respect of the uh, rail to the airport, those decisions haven't been taken uh, and won't be taken before the election. Uh, the government and the council have both asked the uh, group that's looking at the light rail options to do further cost-benefit analysis as to the benefits of over-the-ground compared with tunnelled options, uh, and that work won't be completed before the election. Uh, in respect of the, uh, the phasing, uh, I would have thought that uh, it's uh, that the phasing, although there's lots of different phasing options, it seems likely that the tunnels next to the bridge would be built before the tunnel to the North Shore with the uh, rail in it. But what about um, tunnels for, if there were to be tunnels to the airport, would you expect the tunnel across the uh, harbour for the roads to be built before that? No, I, I wouldn't, but uh, that's not to say that, that, that it will be a tunnelled option that is chosen down Dominion Road. Is your uh, preference... You, you'll see also that we're giving pretty clear indications that in the government policy statement that comes out in draft form on the next three years spend on public transport, that the focus will actually be on the, uh, the need to improve the northwestern busway as the immediate priority. So would you, would, is your preference for above ground rather than below ground? Uh, look, I, I'm not going to express a preference until I see the result of the work uh, that's coming out of the group that's looking at it. What are the climate implications uh, in terms of emissions of these projects? When, for example, including the embedded carbon, does this become a, you know, a, a carbon reducer? Uh, well, the embedded emissions are, in current technology is unavoidable. You do actually have to use fossil fuel vehicles to uh, uh, to, to bore tunnels. Uh, that was that's true of any tunnel. Uh, it's also true of any new bridge if you pursued a bridge alternative. Although it'd be uh, theoretically nice to be able to say we're not going to do anything, Auckland would grind, grind to a standstill in about a decade if we didn't do something. In respect of any of the phased options, there are better and improved public transport outcomes which are low carbon enabled. So when does it actually start reducing emissions? Because the, with the embedded emissions, the airport to the CBD doesn't actually do it for 15, 20 years. When, when does it reduce emissions, this project? Well, there'll be more detail on that when the business case is finalised, but uh, I'm, uh, I think it's a truism to say that unless you do something, you'll have people locked up in gridlock on the roads and that has emissions too. Could, could I ask the Prime Minister, what, what is your preference that um, NZTAA Waka Kotahi um, focus on? Is it emissions reduction or is it improving the roads? You have to do both and I don't see it as an either or.
just on just on the funding um uh can you do this uh without value capture uplift uh which because these projects would increase the value of the land around those um projects uh value uplift is is uh shared value uplift uh, is not ruled out uh it's unlikely to be achieved as easily on the tunnels uh as it would be on the link uh through up past takapuna to albany uh, but in respect of that, it's interesting, I think there's an emerging political consensus around those issues. Uh, and as the Prime Minister has said, these projects take many decades across multiple governments, but we certainly haven't ruled out any of those options, as and, other parties have. And what about a contribution from the Auckland Council, which will benefit um, from these um, projects? And, and can you do value capture without the Council? Can you do it on your own? Uh, well, those are all issues for the future. So there you have it. A few questions and answers from uh, David Parker and from Chris Hipkins. The questions I think that are basically unanswered are uh, what this these series of projects would do for climate emissions, uh, what the actual population forecasts uh, th these projects are designed for, and uh, what the funding models would be. Uh, Obviously, the real decisions have been put off until the end of next, uh, until the end of the year, early next year, after an election result, so it's all moot. But uh, one of, there's a couple of problems here. Firstly, uh, the government's chosen a road before rail. It's also chosen to delay mode shift on the harbour tunnel. And uh, all of these things mean that we're more likely to miss our targets to reduce emissions under the Paris agreements, which, as I point out in the email, Treasury has forecast could mean we have to buy international uh, carbon and climate emissions credits to the tune of $24 billion. So spending $45 billion to build more roads could end up costing us another 20 billion plus on top of that to cope with the emissions credits that we'd need to buy to meet our uh, uh, Paris targets. And remember, of course, we've just signed up to a trade deal with the European Union that commits us to those Paris targets or our exports stop going to Europe. So this is a short-sighted policy that does not include the full uh, uh, climate costs or the financial costs to the government and uh, fly directly in the face of other commitments the government's made towards uh, mode shift. Of course, it's much more politically popular to say you're going to build road tunnels before rail tunnels, um, given people uh, have very much built their lives around uh, driving their cars from home to work and school and other places, and um, would like to do it quickly, more quickly over the bridge. Interestingly, and uh, paradoxically, um, the assumption is that the Harbour Bridge cannot cope with all the traffic currently and that it's getting more and more congested. That's not true. Since the introduction of the Northern Busway a decade ago, uh, traffic congestion on the bridge has reduced. And as you heard in the clips there, NZTA doesn't actually see the bridge congest fully congested again for another 15 to 20 years. So there is not a congestion problem on the bridge right now. Now, obviously, as our population grows, uh, there will become one without a change in the use of that bridge. 
Uh, one of the big issues here is that choosing to do a road tunnel, which is a decade plus in the building, will delay the mode shift that's required on that bridge. Currently, there's six lanes for traffic. Uh, there is no dedicated uh, busway beyond the bridge itself and uh, or beyond the, the motorway. And uh, there is no cycling and walking on that. You could very easily and quickly convert at least two of the six lanes for cycling and walking and two of the six lanes for dedicated busways, uh, which um, may well actually improve congestion on the remaining two lanes for buses and trucks and certainly encourage people to get out of their cars and into, uh, onto bikes and into buses. Uh, without having to spend an enormous amount of money on uh, uh, brand new holes in the ground and a lot of concrete and steel to, to do that. The most important thing, is, of course, is the delay in reducing emissions. Now, there was also another interesting question in the news conference around migrant exploitation. And there is a story out on TVNZ last night about um, the new accredited employer work visas being used in cash for jobs uh, scams. So have a listen to this exchange in which the government defends its decision to vastly loosen the migration settings last year and what they are or are not doing about it. On migrant exploitation, I'm sure you're aware over the past few months there have been lots of reports of migrants who have paid tens of thousands of dollars through offshore agents and sometimes RNZ is aware of two local New Zealand agents to come here and then been dismissed by their accredited employers within weeks or days even sometimes. Um, we know that Immigration New Zealand is investigating about 160 accredited employers um, who are potentially problematic um, and um, in, in relation to the abuse of the, this visa category. Are you concerned about what's happening now? I mean, are some 160 accredited employers, that's, that's a large number. Any suggestion of migrant exploitation is something that the government is concerned about. One of the reasons that we introduced the accredited employer work scheme was so that we had more tools to do something about it. Do you, though, think you loosened settings too quickly last year and, and weren't ready or prepared to keep it clean? Uh, no, I don't. I think that we set up the accredited employer work visa because we knew that in, in New Zealand in the past there have been instances of migrant worker exploitation and we wanted to have new tools and new ways of being able to crack down on employers who engage in that kind of behaviour. The accredited employer work visa gives us an ability to do that. But the migrant advisors say it's actually made it worse. Um, I'm, I'm, look, we, we continue to keep looking at it and we'll continue to look at the advice that they're providing us and the evidence base um, that might underpin that. Um, but the reality is, you know, it's, it's early days for the accredited employer work visa. It does give us the ability to stop any employers uh, who are involved in migrant exploitation being able to bring workers into the country in the future. 160 accredited employers being investigated by Immigration New Zealand at the moment. Does that show that there is a problem in how we're accrediting employers? Are well, we too loose with that? It shows that we were right in introducing a system that requires employers to be accredited so that we can remove the accreditation if there are instances of migrant worker exploitation. The fact, that, the fact that employers are being investigated and that they run the risk of losing their accreditation actually shows that the system's operating as we designed so it. Him. What about the fact that hundreds of migrants are already here, they've been exploited, they've lost their lifetime savings and money they've uh, loaned from loan sharks in some cases, and some are living in cars we're aware of. What are we going to do about these migrants who have already suffered? Will we give them overwork visas? 
So we consider those on a case-by-case -case basis. And that's, I, I, I don't ever want to make blanket um, judgments on those because we, we have a process of working through that where, where migrant worker exploitation is demonstrated. We've got a process of working through the consequences. Chris Hipkins there saying that the government will try to reduce migrant exploitation in future, having introduced a scheme which Migrant Advisors says has made it worse now. I'm Bernard Hickey. Uh, that was today's uh, uh, email and podcast via the kaka. Kaikite anō. And if you happen to be listening to this, because we've opened it up to the public, please um, join us as a full-paying full subscriber. And I'd like to thank paying subscribers for supporting the work I do, uh, making sure that we cover uh, housing, climate, transport, poverty in the public interest.